Hello and welcome to Talking Additive, episode 15. We have processes that can have 100 parts ready for you quicker than some companies can cut a purchase order and confirm it with their supplier and receive it back into their systems. We could literally have the part manufactured and ready. That was Cody Cochran, general manager and co-founder of Azoth. Azoth is an additive manufacturing company within the EWE group that works closely with their primarily Fortune 50 manufacturing customers who require small batch, high complexity parts delivered quickly. I really believe part of the digital inventory makeup will start to be the distributed manufacturing model where we are enabling on-site printing at customers. And I think that will come because Azoth will be able to remotely run these machines in such a way that it, it isn't burdensome for the customers. Cody and his team started Azoth in the beginning from just a solo extrusion-based machine and have grown their capabilities into an array of machines, including metal 3D printing technologies that run the gamut from binder jetting to FFF printing to SLS to SLA and more. I was initially introduced to the Azoth team from Ultimaker's longtime sales partner, Dynamism, who have worked with the Azoth team closely on the implementation of their Tomo, take one, make one model. And more on that as we get into this episode. I sat down virtually with Cody this fall to discuss their introduction of an Azoth approach to digital inventory. In this approach, every time a replacement part is pulled from physical inventory to be deployed for use, the fabrication process is triggered to start printing the next item to replace it in inventory. Azoth is a recent additive manufacturing service launched within the EWE group of companies, a family of manufacturing brands headquartered in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Azos 3D Center of Excellence has grown from just an empty warehouse into an impressive lab of the industry's highest performing technology in less than two years. And part of this success has come from their embrace of professional grade desktop FFF machines in their fabrication services. More on this and other topics on Talking Additive. I'm Matt Griffin, and this is Talking Additive, a 3D printing podcast made possible by Ultimaker. On Talking Additive, we sit down with business leaders, innovators, and allies to discuss the impact of adopting 3D printing on their businesses. How does adopting additive manufacturing positively benefit a business today? How is the role of 3D printing evolving within manufacturing and on the factory floor? And what will be possible in the future? Welcome to the 15th episode of the Talking Additive podcast. Talking Additive launches new episodes on Tuesdays every two weeks. Since 2011, Ultimaker has built an open and easy-to-use solution of 3D printers, software, materials, and support ecosystem that enables professional designers, engineers, and manufacturers to innovate every day. Its global team of over 400 employees work together to accelerate the world's transition to digital distribution and local manufacturing. So first of all, thank you so much for joining today on Talking Additive. I'm just really happy to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here. Couldn't be more excited to speak with you about Azoth and what we're doing with Ultimaker. My name is Cody Cochran. I'm the general manager and co-founder of Azoth. I lead the team and focus on applications and customer development. I started Azoth in the beginning with one FFF printer, and we've grown to have over 16 different machines focusing on metal 3D printing, binder jetting, and FFF printing, SLS printing, and many more different technologies here at Azoth. My background is in uh, mechanical engineering. I went to a unique school called Kettering University where you co-op <laughs> for 
three months and then you work for three months, co-op for three months, and you do that year round for five years. And I actually started working with our parent company while I was uh, studying mechanical engineering, which allowed me to work for two and a half years and three month increments throughout many of our manufacturing facilities. So I spent time in about 20 different manufacturing facilities with our parent company, wow. focusing on the manufacturing operations and in I would call them Fortune 50 manufacturing environments, primarily environments removing metal, heavy manufacturing. I was mentored by a lot of our lead engineers on different uh, machining processes, specifically in the cutting tool world and what we call subtractive manufacturing. And so I went to about four different countries and, like I said, about 20 manufacturing facilities, refining my skill set in traditional manufacturing. And then upon graduation, I led one of our automotive facilities operations where I was a program manager there and led our engineering team as well, which ultimately led to my start at Azoth while I was there. We were following some different additive technologies in our parent companies are, are focused not only on subtractive manufacturing, but the indirect materials associated with it. So think MRO types of products, machine spare parts, jigs, fixtures, gripper fingers, and managing those types of products. And so as a mechanical engineer that uh, uh, was, has been fascinated with manufacturing and was now focused in the management of these indirect materials and providing engineered cost savings, we thought, 3D printing and the additive manufacturing at large is becoming more and more advanced. And therefore, there's some different things that we can utilize from the additive manufacturing space in our space. And as we were looking into this as a solution, we came up with the idea to transform our physical inventory on site into digital inventory that could be manufactured on demand. One of the things that we really excel at is looking at an application and then de determining the best technology for it. And I think all of the technologies have a role to play in the market. So FFF has a very broad application for Azoth and in the manufacturing environment, but we also use resin-based technologies. We use SLS technology. We use binder jetting. Each one serves its purpose for different types of parts. There isn't one machine that is going to enable your digital inventory to take the parts in your facility and transfer them over to a 3D printing strategy. What's necessary is a comprehensive understanding of where each technology excels and applying it to that specific part. There's a nice parallel between additive manufacturing and subtractive manufacturing. For people that are in the subtractive world, they know when they're going to use a lathe versus a five-axis CNC machine versus a grinder versus an EDM machine. When they look at a part, they apply a different tool for that part. And it's very similar with additive manufacturing. When we look at a part, we know when the design freedoms of SLS may be in our best interest for that part versus in another part, FFF may have a material that replaces the existing material very well. So it's being educated on all the different processes allows you to make the best part every time. And that's one of the hurdles to additive manufacturing is because that's a broad range of technology to develop your team around. It takes a long time for an engineer to be competent in applying the six fundamentally different forms of 3D printing. And then once they understand those, become educated on all the different suppliers and which ones excel in different materials, that's why there can be a bit of a 
a hurdle to fully utilize additive manufacturing. But uh, for Azoth, we started with FFF, and that was a really good way for us to get our hands around the industry. And then from there, we looked at the parts that we weren't able to manufacture and said, I wonder if there's a technology that could enable this part. And we kept expanding our capabilities. And so there's definitely, once you know how to operate one technology, the next can be a quite a bit easier to implement. Let's shift our gears to where you work, mm-hmm. the company and the field. So what is the name of your team and your company? The name of our 3D printing company is called Azoth, and we're part of a larger group of companies called the EWE Group of Companies. The EWE Group of Companies goes into the large Fortune 50 manufacturing companies. Think of companies making metal parts, engines, transmissions, vehicles, airplanes, and components that go into these systems, and they manage the indirect materials and provide the engineering expertise that goes into subtractive manufacturing. The EWE Group of Companies really prides itself on being the technology partner of these customers. And so with that, being the subtractive manufacturing experts, we also wanted to be the additive manufacturing experts because we all know that additive is going to play some role in manufacturing in the future. So it was our focus to be the additive manufacturing expert as well. And so we created Azoth to leverage the advantages of 3D printing and additive manufacturing and bring those to our customers. Azoth was launched on the idea that we will transform the physical inventory and manufacturing facilities into digital inventory printed on demand. And what that's allowed us to do is build out our capabilities across a whole wide range, over 40 different polymers that are all focused on end-use products, machine spare parts, as well as a whole series of different metal printing capabilities. When you look at a traditionally machined part, it typically takes these facilities anywhere from six weeks all the way up to 12 weeks to procure the product. So right off the bat, a digital inventory allows us to go anywhere in the realm of four days to two weeks, just depending on the component, the process, the complexity. So now we have a digital inventory on demand where we've taken away those six to 12 week lead times and a lead time reduction allows that plant to have less carrying costs of their inventory, which if you scale that across, let's say 20, 30% of the inventory can be a a very large cost savings. Another advantage is taking advantage of 3D design. So sometimes that's some of the generative shapes and lightweighting structures that you see Mm -hmm. advertised, but a lot of times that's using a a polymer and FFF reinforced with 20% carbon fiber that's difficult to traditionally machine. And so you're able to improve the wear properties, for example. And then a cost-to-cost comparison as well. A lot of times that's one of the advantages that we find is that we can actually manufacture the component more cost-effectively than what a traditional supply chain um, would lend itself to. Since all of these parts are, are critical machine spare parts, the quality control systems that go along with this type of 3D printing is really important. We're manufacturing to a blueprint every time. We're not just processing a CAD file and shipping it out at the end. We're manufacturing to a blueprint and have quality control systems in place. As a result of that, it allowed us to build out really quite a unique business model where we're able to look at a unique part we've never seen before and manufacture it at scale to a blueprint within days or weeks. That's a unique capability that we possess. I really like to think of Azoth as a manufacturing company. Our medium of manufacturing is 
3D printing, but really we're a manufacturing company. And so since we built out these capabilities on this idea of digital inventory, we've also built capabilities that allow us to go after end-use products. And so we get a lot of customers coming to us that want to make end-use medical, automotive, fashion industry-style components because we have the quality systems that are necessary to make critical machine spare parts on demand. Tell me about the the name. I looked up Azoth and I saw that it's a term from alchemy. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> How did you select the name? In alchemy, they were searching for some kind of substance that would turn ordinary metals into gold. And they called that substance Azoth. And since here at Azoth, we're, we're taking powdered metals and, and raw material in a filament form and powdered plastics and photopolymers, and we're putting them through our machines, our process, and most importantly, our people. That's our Azoth. And so that's how we came up with the name. <laughs> that's great. That's really great. <laughs> now, how would you differentiate what you do from like a, a service bureau? I mean, it definitely makes sense. That what you're doing is unique compared to just here's your part coming in and we're going to give you back whatever part you gave us. Uh, there's a lot more involved there. I'll say one that Azoth is vertically integrated. And why that's important is that when you're making a critical machine spare part, you're really manufacturing a component that could be ordered once, it could be ordered once a month, or it could be ordered in two years. But if it's a critical machine spare part, when it goes into the customer's facility, it has to be ready to go in the machine mm. and be used. Good point. If you look at our metal process, we have the ability not only to 3D print the metal component, we'll also look at that drawing and we'll say, this is the metal that it needs to be used. Once it's done 3D printing, this is the heat treat that it needs to undergo. It has one machining operation and then needs to be polished before it leaves the door. And all of that's under one roof. So we're able to offer the benefits of traditional manufacturing at on the lead times of the prototyping and, and 3D printing industry. And so we we combine those two. That's different than a service bureau because a lot of mm -hmm. times what you're doing at a service bureau is you, you're paying a company to take a digital file and put it through a prescribed process. And at the end of that process, they ship it out. That requires the customer to know exactly which process is best for their part, which material is best for their part. And then you pay for someone to take a digital file through that process. Azos fundamentally different. We start at the we start at the blueprint side and we tell the customer, this is the best process, this is the best material, and here's the post-processing so that it matches the tolerances that you need. And once the customer tests that and sets that up, we actually store all of the digital thread of that manufacturing process so that at any time in the future, the customer gets the same part again. So in our mind, that's fundamentally different than um, what a service bureau is really doing. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. And it, it definitely sets up for that possibility of what you're offering with the digital inventory concept. Mm. It's critical for a digital inventory. We have the ability to go into a large manufacturing facility, which might have upwards of 20,000 different SKUs, different parts in their inventory. And we can comb through that data and identify which parts are best for additive manufacturing in their digital inventory. Once we have that bucket, we can then evaluate the manufacturing drawings and say, okay, 
some are going to fall off your list once you see the drawing and you're going to say, these ones aren't actually great candidates. And then you move to the list that is good. And we can actually design all those parts for additive Mm. and let the customer know the best process, material, and post-processing. And what the customer's left with is a digital inventory that takes full advantage of the additive manufacturing landscape with little to no knowledge of their own of the industry. And that's really the benefit of of working with Azoth is you can rest assured that we have the application engineers that are going to make sure you're getting the best part that the industry has to offer. EGC didn't have 3D printing capabilities until Azoth, but our whole goal was to introduce these capabilities into our customers' manufacturing plants because we saw a general underutilization of the technology as a whole. And it's a way that we can drive cost savings and efficiencies at our customers' facilities. Help talking additive listeners understand what are some of the kinds of parts that you are making that match that 100% ready-to-go solution. Yeah, the parts range from areas in a manufacturing in the quality control department to the manufacturing floor where you're talking about automation components to the maintenance sector where you're looking at an old machine that you can't find a spare part for, but you need a spare part for. I should mention safety as well. There's tons Mm -hmm. of safety applications where maybe a safety plate is off or we've had an instance where someone uh, cut themselves on a machine and that potential issue existed in 50 other machines in the plant. And so we were able to come up with safety products to mitigate the issue. So it ranges from safety to maintenance to the manufacturing floor itself to the quality control department. So there's applications throughout. If I look at a few specific applications, we'll start with we'll start with a maintenance application on machine spare parts. We had a component, an older machine that imagine a gear on a shaft that is going to wear out over time. That customer didn't have a a good supplier for that gear. And they also wanted a two-piece design, think collar mechanism to clamp onto that shaft. So what Azoth did is we actually 3D scanned their existing gear, redesigned it with our customer, and and 3D printed it out of a a heat-treated stainless steel for the maintenance department. So they replaced it with with an improved design, which allowed them to clamp and unclamp the gear off of the shaft instead of removing the whole shaft. And that eliminated a three hours downtime about every other month for changing that gear. So that's one area and you can extrapolate that and say, okay, I have an old machine, a part that I don't have a supply base for. Let's use reverse engineering and 3D printing to enable that design. So that's that's one area that we've excelled in. And sometimes we have have applications like that are interim solutions. So let's think of a little gear in a larger pump that fails, the, the gear stripped. If you could reverse engineer that gear, 3D print it, maybe it doesn't last as long as the heat-treated 4140 it was originally designed for, but it gets you out of a machine down situation where you're expediting a pump out of Germany or wherever it is. So it's an interim solution. Right. On the manufacturing plant floor, I love automation examples. And I could go on and on about different automation components that we made. But think end-of-arm tooling. So think end-of-arm robotic tooling specifically for part-moving applications. Those tend to be great. We have a lot of different automotive applications that range from gear moving to just different subcomponents moving to picking up nuts and bolts, those kind of gripper fingers where we've redesigned those 
with an additive manufacturing design. So one component used to be Delrin. In the subtractive manufacturing world, Delrin's a very good material because it has high strength, but then it also has some lubricity to it so that for wear applications. So to replace Delrin with 3D printing is is like the holy grail. It's always a it's always a challenge. But we've actually with Design for Additive replaced those traditionally machined gripper fingers with a carbon fiber reinforced polymer that was FFF printed. And what it allowed us to do is, again, go from a six-week lead time down to a one-week lead time, and we were able to cut about half the cost out of it. And we're ramping that up throughout the plant to the point where it'll make sense to actually have a distributed manufacturing model where we'll put the put a printer in the facility with the with that gripper finger already designed and ready to go so that the customer can just pull the gripper finger out of the machine and utilize them. So it really drastically cuts the amount of inventory that the customer has to carry, allows them to make the part on demand as needed instead of ordering a hundred and hoping they use them or hoping they ordered enough. (laughs) So it really changes that model up. And then on the quality side, one of the areas I mentioned, we do a lot of custom gauging devices. So that can range from just having the proper gauge holding on a workbench all the way to designing aids. So think, I think jigs and fixtures, even in the quality area, a good application to where maybe you are um, holding the part a little bit differently than you would have traditionally, or we make different gauge guards. We've made different covers that go on gauges, which we're getting coolant inside of them to, to keep the coolant out. So there's a lot of flexibility to apply additive throughout manufacturing facilities. When you first got started, were you expecting that you'd have these opportunities? You mentioned a couple of parts that you would rethink for service and use. You would rethink for AM production methods and and some of these materials that might be a good match. When did you go from using this as a way to make a part to using this to transform the parts themselves? That's a great question. I think when most people go through a manufacturing facility the first time, they're looking for like a one-to-one replacement. So, oh, I see a polycarbonate part. Let's see if I can 3D print polycarbonate in the exact way. And that will yield some results throughout a manufacturing facility. But I would, would definitely say it's not taking full advantage of the technology. For us, that's the advantage that we bring to our customers. And a lot of times when I go into a new manufacturing facility, I think of the engineers in the same position as I was and our team was when we first started. They understand their process, but they don't have all of these capabilities in their tool belt to apply. So what I'll do is I'll sit down with their team and train them on the high level components of additive manufacturing and what tools they can put in their tool belt so that I call it stopping the traditional manufacturing way of thinking, right? So all you're thinking is a five axis machine or a lathe to make your parts. Now you've added additive manufacturing into that. So moving forward, you can add this technology into your decision-making process on maybe additive makes sense. And so we do a lot of training to it with our team members and customers to say, hey, this is what additive has to offer. But we're constantly expanding new applications and, and new ways of doing things. So I, I wouldn't have forecasted that three and a half, four years ago when we started Azo. <laughs> the important takeaway for people that are really getting excited to implement printing in their facility to me is, Look at the materials that are available beyond the traditional prototype materials. And that's what blows Mm -hmm. away the 
applications engineers and process engineers in manufacturing facilities is when they see the materials we're able to produce. Most of the parts coming off of our printer, if you're not educated on 3D, you wouldn't even know they were 3D printed. That And that surprises people because they're used to seeing layer lines. They're used to seeing some kind of evidence that it's been 3D printed. And then if they don't see that evidence, they're used to it being something like a material that's going to get in there and break, or it's just for prototyping. But when you take a 20% carbon fiber reinforced polymer and you put it in an application up against a Delrin or an MC nylon blue, and it does Im- improve the tool life. It does wear less. It takes the impact. That surprises people. And that's what we're doing here at Azoth is we're taking mm. these engineering grade thermoplastics and we're applying them to traditional problems. And it generates new and innovative solutions that we hope more and more people become aware of throughout manufacturing, because that's how additive, I think, is really changing the industry. This is our core business. This is what we do every day. And it's our duty to stay on the cutting edge of the technology and roll it out to our customers. And so a lot of other companies just don't know that these engineering grade thermoplastics exist. They don't they might only think of a, a $400 desktop style printer as the whole 3D printing industry. I start every customer meeting off with a snapshot of these are the fundamentally different technologies in the market. Mm. Now, this is a laser-based technology. This is resin. This is FFF. This is binder jetting. And a lot of people don't understand that because it's all collectively referred to as 3D printing, yeah. which you may have seen on a Facebook video through COVID-19 doing a face mask. But when people start to understand that, it, <laughs> especially an engineer says, oh my gosh, you just replaced Delrin? That's super material. Oh my gosh, you could do a 17-4 stainless steel that gets a heat treat and then it's polished to a mere finish and can be used in a stamping application. I did not associate that with the word 3D printing. And so you start to show people these different applications and engineers put it in their tool belt. And as this next wave of young engineers who have that in their tool belt start to design components, we're going to see more and more of it. And the industry is making more and more reliable machines. It's a cool trend we're in. And I'm always excited when companies reach out to Azoth and say, hey, can we identify parts in my facility that are ready for 3D printing? It's a fascinating thing to show them the parts, educate them on the parts. And then it comes full circle where they're feeding back into the system and saying, hey, can we do this? And I get to say, absolutely. And that's just a fun loop that we're a part of. This is Matt Griffin, host of Talking Additive, Ultimaker's 3D printing podcast. This is a critical time for industry to adopt 3D printing within aspects of manufacturing processes, safety, and efficiency as a part of stabilizing and strengthening this field in the new global economy. Let's keep this conversation going. Just like the 3D printing labs, machines, and teams all across the world that have remained open and fully operational even during these complicated times. Enjoy Talking Additive? We'd appreciate it if you would subscribe and post a review to Apple Podcasts or wherever you prefer listening. We also encourage you to explore past episodes with guests Matthew Forrester at L'Oreal, Captain Brad Baker from the United States Naval Academy, Matt Tarosian from Jabel, and more. Let's return now to Cody Cochran from Azoth. I want to hear more about Tomo. We call Tomo a new inventory management model because it doesn't get any closer 
uh, to the manufacturing plant floor <laughs> than Tomo. Yep. Take one, make one. So right now, what do you do? You manufacture a component, you use that component. When it goes out of inventory, you order one, you wait, and it arrives on site. And you have that entire six to 12 week time where you had to order a component and then you had to wait for it and then it came in. But the next wave of lean manufacturing is as you take one out of inventory, make it on demand. And so that's our digital inventory approach. It's quite unique. Tomo entails an entire process on how you set a part up for digital inventory. It's not enough to have a CAD file stored on a USB that can be 3D printed and you call it a digital inventory. There's a whole quality procedure, a validation procedure that we have aligned to justify a part and call it set up for Tomo. So what that looks like is basically we have a workflow where we've went through and identified with the customer all the parts we want to set up in Tomo in their digital inventory. And then what we do is we have a workflow where we validate the design for additive. We select the process. We select the material, the post-processing criteria. We establish the manufacturing strategy and the quality management system. And then we manufacture a part to that strategy. It goes to the customer. When the customer gets the part, they test it in the application. If it doesn't work, we work with the customer and we go back to that entire loop and test it again. But once our customer gives us the green light, then a part set up for Tomo. Mm -hmm. And that part can be ordered tomorrow or in one year from now or in two years from now, and it'll be the exact same part. And that's a robust digital inventory. A lot of people mistake digital inventory maybe with having five or six parts on a shared drive that could be printed, but maybe they've never been printed before. (laughs) Or maybe only one guy has access to it. Or what happens if that machine's down? It's a critical machine spare part that's going to keep a manufacturing line moving. And as you know, assembly plants are very expensive to shut down. Tomo entails an a robust manufacturing strategy for digital inventory. And I could speak to that for the entire day, but uh, that's really (laughs) what our focus is. Something that's important is that's one view of Tomo for the manufacturing environment on indirect materials and critical machine spare parts. But it's really bigger than that. Uh, Even our end-use customers utilize Tomo. And I'll I'll tell you how. So we have a fashion products consumer and we're working to launch a product with them that'll be out soon. And traditionally, this customer would order their prototypes overseas. And those prototypes usually take three to four months and and upwards of six months in some cases. And then they decide we, we would like X, Y, and Z change. And so they go through those iterations. At Azoth in our process, in in the first two weeks, we went through 12 prototypes with their designers. Boom, they had 12 different iterations. And then Tomo also applies to end-use components because instead of looking at the market and forecasting and saying, it's a new product to the market, but I anticipate we need 10,000 units and it's going to take us six months to get those 10,000, so let's put them on order. Now you can utilize Tomo to adjust to market conditions. We validated the component. We know the manufacturing's robust. Now, order on demand. As the customer's taking them out of your inventory, adjust to market demands of 
accordingly. So the the plan is to launch about 100 initially, and then as market demand increases, we'll respond with manufacturing accordingly because it's a seven-day lead time on the components. And so Mm -hmm. it just totally shifts the entire way of thinking. So Tomo's not only for digital inventory and machine spare parts, it's a new manufacturing strategy for end-use components as well. It means that you don't have to predict how many parts are going to sell in a new market and tool up accordingly. Respond to it as as the market's happening, as consumers are buying. That's just such a unique thing. The coolest part of that in my mind is we prototyped in our entering production on the exact same piece of equipment. So you shorten the time to market significantly because not only did you shorten the prototype time, you shorten the PPAP time. You shorten the time that it takes to validate your equipment because you're validating the same equipment you prototyped on. It's just such a cool concept for us. And and we feel that the Tomo strategy is something unique to the market and it puts some meat behind the word digital inventory. So it's not just a catchphrase. It's not just a buzzword. It's that there's a whole quality system and manufacturing strategy behind it. Speaking pragmatically, how is that new part triggered? Is it an activity from the operator grabbing it off the shelf? Is there automation in place? Yeah, that's a great question. Every customer is different. You can imagine we have all sorts of different customers <laughs> with different thoughts and, and different ways they want to do business. But we have some awesome ways to enable Tomo. One of the traditional ways I'll start with is just a traditional PO-based system. Two companies both have the independent ERP systems. They set up a SKU in the system, cut a purchase order when it falls below a minimum, and Azoth puts it on order and fulfills it. The difference there is that instead of getting set up in the system with six to 12 weeks, it was set up with four days. It was set up with two weeks, whatever that was. Anywhere from uh, three to 10 days is traditional on those components, just depending on which style it is. So that's one way it gets set up in Tome. One of the most innovative ways in my mind is to set it up directly through API ordering with a vending machine, for example. So in manufacturing facilities, don't think of candy bar, traditional coil vending machines, but they have a little bit more advanced styles where they have open pockets that only one opens at a time, or they have a cubby where only one bin will open at a time. And the operator can put in their credentials, take the part out of that vending machine, which is an additive manufactured part. And then through API, that'll automatically trigger Azoth to start manufacturing one. So that's the coolest way in my mind for manufacturing environments is to really set it up in a vending situation through API. It'll it'll trigger us to start manufacturing and queue in our manufacturing system and we fulfill it. So it's really quite a lean way. And then, of course, as we mentioned earlier in our discussions, when a customer reaches a certain threshold and it makes business sense to put a printer on site, I mean, now you're talking about the leanest form of Tomo, take one, make one, is mm-hmm. when we start to start that print right within the customer facility. But machines have to advance a little bit and it takes a specific set of parts to where I think that makes business sense. We always present that and explore that with our customers. I always tell people we're transforming physical inventory into digital inventory mm-hmm manufactured on demand. Now, why do I say manufactured? Because I could say 3D printed on demand. So it's a specific choice of words there that actually enables Tomo. If we're just 3D printing on demand, it it kind of associates it with a traditional service bureau just paying us to put a digital file through a process. But it's manufactured, and I put a lot of weight into that word. I could say manufactured to a blueprint on demand, but because that's really what we're talking about. But that is what enables Tomo in digital inventory. And I think that that's the the coolest thing about it. 
Now, the competency center approach is having the ability to train and, and show past examples a, a key part of how you're able to bring these services to some of your clients? Yeah. Our competency center in Ann Arbor is a critical component of our digital inventory uh, model and bringing our, getting our customers up to speed on how to utilize additive manufacturing. What we find when we do a, let's say a digital inventory review for our customers, and we're going to set up additive manufactured parts. We find that a lot of the parts to truly be a critical machine spare component might need a service meld. It might need post heat treatment. Uh, a polymer component might need a thread insert pressed into it, or it might need the holes reamed, or it's a really precise part that needs to be dialed in and have specific features measured afterwards. These are post-processing steps that are needed to make it a critical machine spare part that can be added to a digital inventory. Why that's important is that it's not as always as simple as just grabbing the part off of the machine and shipping it, right? Like the service bureau environment would, because if it's going to be ordered tomorrow or in a year from now, and it's expected to go in and the machine's going to be back up and running, it's critical that it's met the blueprint specifications. So our competency center manufactures most of the parts that go into our customer facilities today because of this requirement and because most people don't have all of the equipment necessary, the procedures or the processes to do that. Mm -hmm. We allow our customers to focus on their core business, whether that's making engines or transmissions or medical components. And we focus on adding the parts to their digital inventory. Now, there are certain components that as we look at it and we say, okay, over time, this one manufacturing facility has components that are all off of the same technology. Let's use FFF as the example. All of these parts are coming off of this Ultimaker S5, and these are all parts that they don't need much post-processing. So they can be removed from the build plate. Maybe one, one feature has to be measured, and then they can be utilized. Azoth has already validated this part. They've already worked with a customer to ensure that it's working correctly. At that point in time, we can justify saying, okay, let's add this to on-site printing because you guys can utilize it for prototyping and hashing out new ideas. And you also have this production component that we can add to the printer as well to justify the cost. So then we'll enable more of that distributed manufacturing model. But our competency center is critical because a lot of parts need some kind of post-processing or quality management system in addition to the 3D printing itself. And that's something that we do here. Now, it also allows us to bring our customers into an environment where they can see the vast array of different technologies in the industry and see why it takes more than one technology to make the parts that's going to enable their digital inventory. And it also allows us to, to duplicate the technology that we're going to be putting in their facility and train them here before they get it. It makes perfect sense to me, the way you describe it, that you can get more function out of these parts off of these additive processes if you already have assigned the right secondary steps, the post-processing steps, to, to complete various services and treatments. That said, why is it that not that many manufacturing environments have thought we want to use this additive manufacturing process, this subtractive pass, and this uh, this coating or treatment, and then we have our part. Yeah, it takes 
It takes a team that understands the technologies available in the market, which technology excels for which material and types of product. And that takes a special team that you have to build to understand that. But then also, it's not always necessary. Let's use a hypothetical situation where we had 100 parts that could potentially be 3D printed in a plant. Of those 100 parts, the likelihood of them all being parts that can come directly off of a printer and put into the machine is very low. Can some of them be printed and and put right in the machine? That's likely. Can some of them be redesigned and, and the process adjusted to accommodate a part that's printed off of the machine? That will add some parts to your digital inventory as well. What is likely going to add even more from our experience, I don't, I shouldn't say likely because I know it's true, is, wow, if we just milled one surface, yep. <laughs> we could add 10 more parts. If we just heat treated the part, we could add 10 more parts. The issue with that, though, is a lot of manufacturing facilities are focused on making their end-use product. That's where their core competency lies. And they don't want to be in the business of it's not just 3D printing anymore. It's manufacturing. They don't want to be in the part of manufacturing their indirect materials. So that's the beauty of what we're doing is we're saying, hey, instead of using a 3D printer for more than just prototyping or hashing out new designs, why don't you utilize Azoth? You get access to the entire benefits of the additive industry and we'll be that branch for you. And then as soon as you get a part, that you're printing every day and just pulling it off the printer and you can put it in the machine, then we can add that printer right on site. So you take the three days and shipping and handling out of the whole process. But until then, just utilize the benefits in our applications team. So that's our model and how we approach it. Tell me a little bit more about the distributed manufacturing side of this, about when you have scenarios where you'll actually have the fabrication process right there maybe where the need is or close enough to the need for for the high-speed fulfillment? As we're building out a digital inventory for a customer and we're adding more and more parts to their digital inventory, all of the parts in that have different demand in the plan. Maybe one of them's a quarterly usage style part. Maybe one of them's a what I would call a just-in-case part. Hey, we've set it up. Mm-hmm. It's likely not a part that's going to fail, but it's in our additive toolbox just in case. And then others are going to be, let's say, end-of-arm consumable robotic tooling. So, hey, this is picking up a gear every second, all day. That thing's going to wear out. That's the nature of the business. That's being used 20 a a week. Depending on that digital inventory makeup of the customer, you might look across their 100 items and say, five of your high movers are all this one material, which have little to no post-processing steps with them. Or we've printed those for such a period of time without post-processing and we validated it with no issues, we're comfortable duplicating our setup on-site at your facility so that you guys can have it on demand and then utilize the machine there for prototyping when it makes sense. So that's how we identify which ones make sense for distributed manufacturing. Because unless that exists, you got to keep in mind of those 100 parts that make up of a digital inventory, there could be 16 different machines that are contributing to them. Mm. So you want to have a business case there instead of dropping off a $100,000 machine or a $10,000 machine and saying, hey, you have one part, let's see if you can do it and pair an engineer with it. We say, no, not until it makes the business case will we put it on site because you have to have a team that can run it and someone that's monitoring the parts and maybe there's quality control associated. So we pick in place which parts are going to make sense and drive that 
with our customers. And and some customers look at it as they rather utilize us as their additive branch. And, and we approach it that way as well. And some of them who want a prototyping machine on house and can also pair it with a production part really think that makes sense. And, and so do we. I mean, the best example and how we utilize it here is the S5. The Ultimaker S5, we're printing their components and there's the camera inside and Kira and, and Connect allows us to monitor that printer remotely very well. That's one of the reasons we we chose to work with Ultimaker from the beginning is because it allows us to see that entire process remotely. When we're printing those components here in our competency center, it's not a large stretch for us to say, okay, we validated this component. Here, let's transfer over the G-code. We can train you on how to utilize the machine. And, and we have a really rigid structure on how we do that. What build plates come with it? What materials come with it? We utilize the material changeover station so that in the G-code file, it's picking the exact material that the customer will need. So we can put a prototype material in there, but then we can put maybe three different manufacturing materials that their parts are made up of so that when the customer goes into their digital inventory and selects which part they need, all they do is select that part. Azoth has predetermined the entire sequence and at the end, the part's done and the operator can then take the part off. We have a work instruction that goes with that to see what they have to do afterward. We take a lot of the guesswork out of it to where if all the person wanted to do is press the picture of the part and pull it off the printer, that's all they would have to do. But then we can also, depending on the site's skill level and how they're utilizing that technology, we can also train them on, okay, if you wanted to slice your own file, do this. Or what's really awesome is because of the connectivity of that machine, they can say to our application engineer, here's a sketch I need to bring to life. We can prototype and and do all the CAD work, create the G-code and send it to their machine so that they can have it right on site. That printer allows us to to work really closely with the people on site. I don't think it would be possible with a platform that's, let's say, um, off the grid or not connected. You know, Mm -hmm. if we didn't have the visibility of that machine, the model would be quite difficult. So that's an important reason why why we enjoy working with Ultimaker. You could share that vision of distributed manufacturing and help enable that model. You've brought up lean manufacturing a couple of times, but what you seem to be offering, which is exciting, it's like more lean than the lean concept because you're <laughs> you're having these like full manufacturing processes that can be inserted into various stages really efficiently. How do you see this relating to concepts like lean and and sort of the movements towards the transformation of how manufacturing processes uh, happen? One of the coolest things about it is that it certainly disrupts the current inventory management models inside of manufacturing facilities today. We have processes that can have 100 parts ready for you quicker than some companies can cut a purchase order and confirm it with their supplier and receive it back into their systems. We can literally Mm -hmm. have the part manufactured and ready. It disrupts the inventory management model. It's the leanest way to manufacture a component, right? It doesn't get leaner than (laughs) manufacturing as it's needed. The only way to to get leaner is to not have inventory. And we believe that and that, and that's the way we view the take one, make one model. If nothing else, they can use additive manufacturing as a redundant supply chain. And that's to say, maybe additive manufacturing isn't the long-term solution or the best solution, but it's a backup solution. And that's why I really recommend people do a digital inventory review, understand which components 
can be manufactured with additive. That allows you to prioritize and have a good understanding of what is in your facility that could be manufactured so that if a situation occurs, you're prepared for it. You have an additive solution set up. And we do that with quite a few customers. So let's take this one step further and talk about what you, what you see as the future of the supply chain. I see the digital libraries continuing to grow. Let's say day one, you out of the 10,000 parts, you can only find 100. But down the road, I, I anticipate to go from 10% of inventory to 20 to, to, to 50% of inventory. And so that number will grow over time to where our digital inventories are getting bigger and bigger. But to start on the metal printing side of things, I see a competency center approach being a great approach there because we are vertically integrated. It's a more capital intensive process. I need a lot of applications engineers with deep expertise. And then we post-process the components. We heat treat them, machine them, mm-hmm. blast them, polish them. So I see that being more of a competency model. But as our digital inventories continue to grow, so will the capabilities, the robustness, if you will, of the polymers printing machines. And so as our digital inventory grows and those machines continue to grow, I really believe part of the digital inventory makeup will start to be the distributed manufacturing model where we are enabling on-site printing at customers. And I Mm. think that will come because Azoth will be able to remotely run these machines in such a way that it, it isn't burdensome for the customers. And I see some of the technologies getting to the point where Azoth will set up all the digital inventory, create the G code for the parts, continue to add parts of the inventory, and the customers will take more autonomy with the manufacturing. I think there will be more and more on-site printing with time, and Azoth will, will enable all of that workflow for them. Thank you so much for talking with us today and talking at it. This is incredibly helpful. Yeah, this is this has been great. I've enjoyed talking to you as well, Matt. And I think there's a lot more to come. And I get excited about the things we have we have brewing together. I appreciate your time and learning some more about Azoth today. Thanks again to Cody Cochran from Azoth and to the Dynamism team for their part in introducing them to us. We hope that you have enjoyed our 15th episode for the Talking Additive podcast featuring Azoth. To learn more and book their services, visit them online at azoth3d.com. And watch for the Ultimaker success story, Azoth, driving the transformation of physical to digital inventory using additive manufacturing, soon to be available from the Ultimaker team. If you have questions about any topics covered during this episode of Talking Additive, we invite you to post on Twitter or LinkedIn to hashtag TalkingAdditive, all one word. In two weeks, we will return with episode 16, which will feature the team from BASF talking about 3D printing 316L stainless steel via the metal FFF process, among other filament options and topics. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and join the conversation by signing up for news and announcements at talkingadditive.com. Thanks again to Cody Cochran and the rest of the Azoth 3D team for joining us for this episode. Our series producer is Hannah Gabrielle Takini, studio manager David Roberson, executive producer Nuno Campos. Music and episode sound mix by Brian Scarry and Giulio Carmasi of the Hummingbirds Custom Music and Sound. I am host and producer Matt Griffin, and thank you for listening. On Talking Additive, we hold conversations with colleagues and customers about 3D printing's impact on business.